galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hello and welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat. I'm Jesse. We've got Dave, Jason, and Ryan today. How's everyone doing? Hello. Uh, Fan-freaking-tastic. Cool. So, uh, as always, we'll start with uh, what we've been up to today, or this week, rather. Dave, what you been up to? So, um, I guess, really this week, um, or last week, the only thing I really did was uh, play some Battlefleet Heresy against Jason and his uh, Mechanicum list. Mechanicus? Mechanicum? Um yeah, those guys, and <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was a novel experience. I'm telling you, like, you know, the whole saying, iron sharpens iron, uh, like 100% true. So Jason brought in the Mechanicum, and just like in 30K, uh, man, that fleet just does so much differently than all the other fleets in uh, in Battlefleet Gothic, and it's they're awesome because it's perfect for what Mechanicum is supposed to do, right? Like they've got got high tech, um, you know, they're pretty, uh, you know, they're pretty resilient, and um, you just never know what you're going to get, right? So melt the torpedoes. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 good though. It's good. And so, Jason, I haven't told you this, but like I went back through the book and I've been like looking through. The Space Marine 2010 Compendium, and like, how, how the fuck can I make my list a little bit more competitive? And and uh, I figured out that you can tool out strike cruisers almost any way you want. So in, in the 2010 Compendium, so that, for folks that don't know, like, we're a pretty strong Battlefleet Gothic community as well as a 30k community, and it bleeds over because Stephen and Austin have written rules for Battlefleet Heresy and. And combining the the sort of the, the standard chaos and imperial fleets, um, yeah. So you can really tool out uh, a strike cruiser um, almost any way you want. And if you look at the 2010 compendium, um, there are rules for uh, dropping your prow bombardment cannon and giving a strike cruiser, a single lance, a 30 centimeter lance. Hmm. So probably going to do that. Um, there are also rules for, uh, for 15 points, giving a strike cruiser an additional shield. So uh, definitely doing that. And then there are rules for, um, I think you can, oh yeah, you can drop the launch base. So instead of being able to like shoot out Thunderhawks, you can drop the launch base for, a um an additional bombardment cannon bombardment cannons are really good so they're like uh regular guns on the gunnery table but they hit on four plus and they crit on four plus they're like what if lances were also guns yeah exactly they're like what if lances were also guns and then you but you crit on a four plus um which is it if you can get some hits on them it's you've got a good chance of critting, right? 50%. But, but yeah, no, it's, it was a good game, and uh, I learned a lot. It forced me to go back um, and look into the – dive into the rules a little bit deeper, which is um, mm-hmm. 
sort of what Jason uh, does for people. I feel like you know, Just dig into the rule or dig into the lore a little bit deeper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a great game. Um, I got my ass handed to me. Is the uh, that's the the bottom line up front. <laughs> um, absolutely destroyed, uh, but it was it was awesome, and it was like only Jason's third game. So oh, very cool. Yeah, there you go. All right, Jason. So sounds like you've been kicking butt this week. You been doing anything else? Uh, well, I try to remain humble. It is. Uh, I am really enjoying playing the mechanic of uh, in Battlefleet Heresy now that I feel like I've got a handle on them. A lot of my Shapeways ships come in, which is kind of fun. So I just tried out my first Mechanicum battleship. That's what. Uh, it feels. Uh, it feels really Mechanicum. Like it, it feels perfect. It feels just like an extension of the uh, 30k rules, just in space. Because everything is super expensive. Uh, you have a super low model count, but you're hard as nails. And it, it worked out pretty well. Uh, I enjoyed it. Dave seemed like he enjoyed it. All right. Uh, looking forward to playing a few more games with them, getting a few more ships out there. Considering I only have a uh, six. Uh, Six ships on the board at fifteen hundred points, whereas uh, Dave, Dave, you're around what fifteen or sixteen? Yeah, I played. I played some heavy escort squadrons, so I was, um, yeah, I was running two escort squadrons with about five or six ships each, and then I was, re- you know, running my battle barge and three strike cruisers. So, yeah, so probably about fifteen uh, ships. And uh, I think when we get into the campaign and the scenarios, it's going to provide a different, um, it'll just be different. It'll be, a, I think, a little bit more uh, balancing in terms of people who have really expensive, low model count. You're going to be able to dominate that one game where you bring your ships to, but then until that campaign round is over, you know, you can't fight in two places at once on the map. So if you've, you know, if, if Jason's dedicated, like, you know, the Mechanicum Omnissiah or the Terra to a certain part of that campaign map, you know, for, mm-hmm. for round one, whoever has to go up against that, man, it's going to be tough. But then, you know, wherever else he is on the map, he's, you know, he's not going to be able to bring the same force. So I think it's going to balance out in the long run, and uh, and that's for everybody, right? So you you know when you start getting into the BFG BFH campaign mode, um, you've got to start plugging in these additional variables like how do I balance my fleet against multiple sectors and warp routes and um, resources? Uh, so it really becomes a much more dynamic um, game. It's be a lot of fun, dude. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Ryan, what have you been up to this week? Um, hmm. Sorry. Um, yeah, getting back to talking about 30K, which I thought this podcast was about. Um, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> um, so I've been working on a couple things. I'm cranking away at Zone Mortalis Terrain for Nova. Uh, currently working on some sexy um, boxes. You know, the Munitorium containers. Oh, yeah. Um, I had lined up a game for today um, on Friday. So I had previously purchased from Mr. Dave Sampson a trio of Death Guard Forge World Dreadnoughts. 
and I decided mm -hmm. I wanted to add one of those to my force and um, thankfully the the base coating that he had on there was very similar to my paint scheme my, my um, death guard are more of a like a dirty tan than the normal off-white that you see um, mm -hmm. so I took a couple hours uh, Friday night and threw together a contemptor so I had four contemptors for the game today and then I played a 3,000-point game against one of the local dudes here. Um, he asked me to bring Mortarian, so I brought. I obliged. I brought Mortarian. I played against 3,000 points of Custodes with a knight, and it was just a brutal slugfest. Um, long and short of it, I had seven models left on the board at the end of the game, and he had five. Uh, Mortarian wow. single-handedly slaughtered Valdor. Uh, he killed three Hedering Guard. Killed another six, or no, killed another four of the normal, I don't know what the normal custodes are, just normal dudes, um, and then swept the remaining six that were in that squad. So he like single-handedly killed 14 or something stupid custodes and kind of made the game even again. So it was a really fun game. It was super brutal. I kind of was getting my shit pushed in for the first three turns, and then Mortarian hit like a Mack truck and did what he does, so... It was fun. That's first or second time I've gotten to play with him, so it was a good time. That you know, that's one of the things I'm looking forward most about opening Salvo is being able to play against um, Primarchs that I've never played against, uh, and I've never yes. played against Mortarian ever. So definitely looking forward to playing against him. Yes, and spoiler for anyone who's going to opening Salvo and who may want a little bit of uh, information or intel before you go into that. There may or may not be bonuses for challenging a player who's playing a Primarch, and there may be additional bonuses for slaying said Primarch that you challenge. So, victory goes to the bold. Hey, Jason, are you playing uh, Mechanicum in opening Salvo, or are you doing... I haven't decided yet. I think I'm going to play my Survivors of the Dark Age with a little teeny allied uh, Okay, nice. I didn't know if the, does the Mechanicum have anybody that's like Primark level? Scoria is the closest. Scoria. Yeah, right on. Right on. He's quite at Primark level. He's like a step above in most cases. <laughs> I don't know. So I played Baldor today for the first time, really getting into it. And if I had not had Mortarian, he would have just rolled right the fuck through everything okay. I had on my left flank. Like, Baldor is a beast. Yeah. And in fact, he, he had done five wounds to Mortarian. And uh, Mortarian would have died, but he, over two rounds, got his It Will Not Die. So he got two of his wounds back. Um, but yeah, I mean... That's perfect that, Mortarian, though. That's like... Insane. No, that, and that yeah, makes sense, yeah. right? But you're talking Valdor is 275 points, and he's about to put it to a Primarch. It's like, That's come on, true, man. but Valdor has the same problem Scoria does, is in that they do not have assault transports. So against a really savvy player, you have a really hard time getting them in the, the combats you want. Yeah, that's fair. Jesse, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> not, not a damn thing. That's why I asked everyone else. But um, honestly, um, I'm fully moved in. Now I'm in unpacking mode and also Ikea shopping mode. So I've been getting a lot of furniture, getting it all set up for the hobby room. A nice little corner desk with a little uh, wedge cut out so I can set my airbrush hose, airbrush or fan hose out of that into the window. Got some tables, some shelves. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a proper hobby room once we're done. So other than that, not a damn thing. 
Well, that's part of the hobby too. You gotta be organized. You have to have a setup that works for you. Yeah. It's yeah. always nice to treat yourself and get yourself ready for, you know, some good hobby time. That's true. Buying stuff counts as hobby progress. This is this is true. <laughs> All right, cool. So with that being said, uh, coming up our next segment, we're gonna talk about the Ariana Forge event. That was held uh, June 9th. Have a little discussion on that, what we liked, what could be improved, what we'd like to see in the future, and uh, then we'll go into Heresy Grad School after that. So stay tuned. And we're back, guys. We're going to talk about Ariana Forge right now. So that was an event that we had few two weeks ago and so our so our man dave um ran the event it was a very interesting had a whole bunch of different mechanics that you normally don't see in 30k but seemed to it was really unique and really fun so do you want to talk a little bit about that dave no i appreciate it thanks jesse sure. so yeah so the whole idea behind ariana forge um ariana forge is a battle zone um, in sort of the 30K setting that we play in. But it's a little bit different than the normal narrative events that um, Richmond 30K hosts because I wanted to create a battle zone that really brought to life the, the struggle between super heavy um, titans and knights and tanks, you know, super heavy tanks. And so really Ariana Forge... And this, this was very much a sort of proof of concept. So I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know, you know how well it would work or what would work. But the idea was it's a super heavy only event. So mm -hmm. you, can, you can bring your Titans. You can bring your Night House. You can bring your, you know, your super heavy tanks, your Shadow Swords, your Fell Blades, um, your Bane Blades, right? And you can, you can run those on a... On a it's not really a table, but the mat that I created is um, 10 feet wide by 30 feet deep. So 360 inches, um, which was the length of it. So that is essentially the longest range weapon that any Titan has, uh, other than the uh, a Vortex missile that's a one-shot only, which is something ridiculous like... 960 inches but um the, the idea behind ariana forge is you know forge world forever has created these um these units that have rules that have ranges that far out exceed any table space you could have right like a normal four by six board right yeah right definitely and, and so, you know, you know, in the back of your mind, at least when I was growing up and I was playing this game, even with the basilisks, right? I was like, dude, a hundred inches, like that's ridiculous. That's like nobody's gonna put a basilisk on the table and then be able to hit anything a hundred inches away because you're off right. you're off the table. So so but but Forge World continued to produce these rules for these units. And I thought that was so thematic, and I wanted to create um, or replicate a battle zone where you could do that. And so, um, so I did. And you guys were good enough to come out and, and join me in my little uh, in my little endeavor. So yeah. And for those who uh, checked out our Facebook page, 
over the past week or so, you'll see uh, videos and pictures of the event. It was just this massive, massive mat. It was, what was it again? Thirty foot long. Yeah. So, yeah. so I got a, so the way I created this, I I, I went to a fabric store um, and I bought a single bolt of fabric um, that was mm-hmm. t- 120 inches, so 10 feet uh, wide and um, 30 feet long, 360 inches long. And I spent like the better part of probably three days just <laughs> spray painting this thing, right? With like 15 rattle cans of paint um, in a parking lot somewhere where like, you know, the cops wouldn't come and just arrest me on scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are you doing, boy? Uh, yeah, what are you doing out here, man? You know, and, and so, yeah, it was like, uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And so I think the mat came out really well. Um, it took about two months to uh, actually like, dispense all the fumes so we just didn't sure <laughs> fucking die when we put it down but um oh, yeah i know when yeah. i spray painted a bunch of terrain for the muster like that smell like it, it was there for days and i'd put it in, in the containers and then you'd crack it open and it's like oh it's back it never left <laughs> yeah 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 so note to self anybody who's thinking about attempting to replicate this um Give yourself plenty of time with whatever medium you're working with, because when you're working with something that big and that, um, I guess, expansive, you, you definitely want to give yourself time for, to work out the kinks. For sure. Um, so I started this whole thing maybe three months three months ago, um, if not longer, because I commissioned artwork for it. I went through the whole thing. I wanted I wanted to have the mechanics of this support uh, dynamic feel on the battlefield as well as not bogged down in terms of like um, player turn because mm-hmm. having been, and I love big bland, right? Like I, I fucking, it's great. It's shenanigans. It's, yep. it's, it's a lot of fun. You get all kinds of super heavies on the table, but I wanted something that felt more tactical. I wanted something that felt more um, like you were, you were going to be able to maneuver your super heavy units so that um, actually using terrain and using the depth of the battlefield uh, would come into play because at Big Blam and some of the other um, super heavy events I've been at, you're still on a four by six board or you're, you're, on, you're on a four foot depth board. And so you're essentially in Titan terms, you're like knife fighting distance away right. from each other. You know, <laughs> everything's going to hit all the time. Yeah, it's, it's sort of ridiculous. Um, because people just don't. I mean, like in the in the lore, titans don't fight like that. So sure. Um, so I wanted to create some experience that simulated the lore as well as made use of these amazing rules that Forge World has for different weapons. And so I sort of thought about it, and I said, okay, let's do alternating activations. So one unit would activate on the trader side, and then another unit would activate on the loyalist side, and we'd go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that sort of worked, but I think it bogged down in the early phases because we were really out of range um, of each other, except for the Reaver. Um, It just felt like the Knights were sort of moving and then getting shot and then moving and getting, you know, so I think the super heavies dominated. Oh, sure. Yeah. The Knights moving one at a time was a little bit finicky at times. Yeah, I would say that's one of the big lessons learned. So, um, if anybody else is trying to replicate this, and I think there are a few people out there that are, I've been in contact with some of the folks from um, the Titan Owners Club that are working with, uh, actually, they're working right now. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I think I am. They're working with the folks um, 
at the new Warhammer store in, is it Dallas? Warhammer Citadel? Yep, uh, the Warhammer uh, Citadel. Yeah. Down in Grapevine. Yeah. Yeah. So, cool. yeah, no, these, these guys are, you know, so I've been talking to them and, and we've sort of been trading notes, but they're going to put on an event there in the near future um, that's going to also be sort of a Titan only. They, they're calling it a walk, Ooh. but they're, they're going to use, um, they're going to use similar rule set. But so, you know, what I would say, what I would offer as advice to anybody who's going to try to play something that's this big um, on 28 millimeter terrain or table is you want to, I think you want to advance the board a little bit until, and so you get to a point where if you're playing with night houses, those night houses are able to move as one, activate as one, and engage as one, which really is thematic and, and cinematic in, in the sense that that's what night houses would do. Um, and, and advance the board so that those knights get to start probably, if you're playing on a 30-foot a board, I would say advance the knights at least four feet up the board, probably a little mm -hmm. bit more, um, just so that they get the experience of being able to move and shoot um, and then move and potentially charge, uh, make use of terrain. Um, and it doesn't just feel like ducks in a shooting gallery. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and but again, all, all of this is going to come down to what do you have on the board? Because, you know, the biggest thing we had on our board was a Reaver Titan. If we had had a Warlord on the other side, probably totally different story, right? Because the yeah. Warlord would have engaged the Reaver or Warlord would have engaged Warlord and it would have been a back and forth. So I think getting that balance right is is hard, um, and I don't know how you're going to do that. You just you're just going to have to figure it out. Um, but uh, but I would say definitely advancing the table a little bit would have probably helped us out. Mm -hmm. Well, I think another balance may have to do just down to the certain weapons that you take. Right, which you're you're that. never going to be able to control that, right? Well, yeah. To some extent, I guess. I, I guess it also depends on how many people are there. Like, okay, how many close combat titans are there? First of all, what are you doing with a titan with a fist? Don't you want to shoot everything? But you know. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. and then and then you've got you know Robbie, who's like you know I love Robbie, man, because Robbie just comes up with some crazy shit, and like so. Oh Robbie's, yeah. <laughs> Robbie's like our red cell, so so we're like two turns into the game, and Robbie like brings out a knight. He's like, I'm I'm infiltrating this. I was like, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about, dude? So what is this? He's like, oh yeah, no, this is the um, I don't know what what knight has the rule where you can infiltrate uh, it. The auto, auto, yeah, I can't even pronounce it. Ossiteller. It's one. I think it's a fast leader, fast attack, but it gains the uh, outflank and loses some front armor, I believe, off the top yeah, of my head. Ulan, the Ulan. Oh, oh the yeah, Ulan? The, okay, the gotcha. Ulan. Yeah, exactly. And so, so um, I love Robbie for this, man. So he, he comes in with a knight. And, and one of the things that I wanted to do with Ariana Forge was create a, a one-use-only, um, really cinematic, um, like, uh, power uh, moment, right? So mm -hmm. this, is, this is when you're, you're either going to go out with a blaze of glory or it's going to be something that's super cinematic. And so I called it a command point. Um, no offense to 8th edition, uh, but uh, it was a one-use only, and you could do either, like, 
is shoot a weapon you'd already shot before, um, activate a mana pull, which is like activate all the titans or knights in your unit, um, uh, or uh, overcharge the plasma core, right? So you could you could basically like, you know, you're going to overcharge that plasma core, you're going to detonate the titan, suicide run, kamikaze, go out with a bang. And, uh, and that's what Robbie did. He brings his fucking knight Ulan off the board, um, rolls a five so he can come in anywhere he wants. And Jesse, he brought it right out on your side, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brought my little knight maniple. Yeah. So what is this? What is this? Yeah, right. Just, you know, and, and, and he, you know, just was like, drop the command point, turn two. He's like, I'm doing it. And uh, yeah. luckily, I don't <laughs> think it was, it wasn't too bad. No, no, I, everything was walking, yeah. and it came to my turn, then we uh, mutually destructed each other. But then he, uh, but, the next turn, he came out with his Malkador <laughs> in the same side. I know. He's <laughs> like, so, come on, dude. But, I uh, know. he had it. Yeah. Yeah, but that's when I uh, pulled my glaive out and shot at that and used my command point to shoot again and managed to take that off the field. Not without him doing some serious damage, but most of my guys were still walking. I think I lost one Titan, or uh, one Knight, rather. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that was it was it was sort of um, one for one, yeah, uh, you know, attrition, but definitely tit for tat. <laughs> what did you guys think about the mana or not the the uh, the command points? What did you think about that? Like, um, I like them, and I wish I had more of them. So, <laughs> but that one, it, you know, it it does make you think, and it's like you got to wait for it at a certain time. Did um did I think everybody use theirs by the end of the game, right, or yes. close to everybody? No, yeah, no, I think everybody used theirs by the end of the yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. No, they were a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed having that little extra option to use. So definitely a positive thing for that event. Cool. Yeah, no, it, it, you know, I think it was a lot of fun. Um, I think, you know, Battlegrounds is uh, thank you for letting us hold that type of event there because we did take up the whole back room um, on a Saturday uh, from about, 11 to six. So, yeah. um, you know, it, and this was something that I wanted to do for a long time. So we, we started to, to charge an entry fee. That entry fee went to battlegrounds, um, as well as a little bit to support the swag, but, um, which was fantastic swag, by the way, like I, I have my picture, I have my poster in a frame hanging up on my wall right now. Oh yeah. Carol. Nice. That. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks, it looks beautiful, man. Now you're, yeah. you're, you're definitely doing the hobby room, right? Man. Um, but yeah, that you know, so so Ariana Forge is really my passion. Um, you know, mm -hmm. when I when I talk about you know the way I want to play games, this is this is what I want to do. Um, I run these events because I think hopefully there are people out there um, that are as crazy as I am and have you know either a full night house or um, you know titans that they don't just want to put in a display case somewhere. Sure. And you know, bring out once a year, maybe to uh, a Nova or a Debcom, but would like a format where you could maybe play it. And uh, I, a, yeah, I think it'd be cool to play Ariana Forge events in Adeptus Titanicus form. <laughs> little well, mini, yeah. little mini Ariana Forge of command tokens, and just yeah, I, that would be a nice little test bed too for future big events. Yeah, we'll have to see how the rules translate. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. I think it'll make it um, a lot more accessible for people. I think um, I think Adeptus Titanicus is going to be awesome. Yes, uh, I'm looking forward to that. 
for the heresy, and, and I'm definitely looking forward to see what yeah. that comes. Still out. love the big boys, though. You can't can't hold a flame to those two foot standing reavers and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there's just something about putting you know a model on the on the floor where you're like, please keep <laughs> please keep the drunk people away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody take their shoes off, which was nice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just. Sort of feels a little a more tip-toe. civilized. I know our, our side was a little more sparser, so I'm, I'm glad I wasn't on the other side with the traders with their 20 super heavies all in a row. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd hate to walk that line right there. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Um, yeah, you know, I can't really think of anything else to say about Ariana Forge. If you're going to try to run an event like this, um, I would say the biggest thing you want to consider is really what's coming because it's going to, it's going to make the biggest difference. So if you have a, if you're going to have a battle like this with a lot of warlord Titans, and I I say a lot, I mean like one or two, um, Mm -hmm. you know, on either side, I think it would change the dynamics dramatically. Um, Yeah. Because they're just such powerful engines that have a massive range uh, you, you might know. have to uh, like disallow them from firing twice, maybe. I don't know. I think what you'd it, have to advance the board enough so that it doesn't just become shooting fish in a barrel. Um, true. So that the people who are there playing knights and the people there that are maybe playing like a super heavy uh, tank killer, like a like a shadow sword, have a chance, or maybe have enough have enough terrain on the board where you can you know hopefully get a five up involve. I think that's the other thing that we did that was that was pretty good is like we had enough terrain on the board um, where using true line of sight rules, if a model's twenty five percent or more obscured, they get a five up invul, and that you know yeah. that that or it's a cover save, right? Five up cover save, and yep. that is one hundred percent in the rules. Uh, you know, it's been in the rules forever, as far as I know. Um, it's just true line of sight, twenty five percent five up, and uh, that can make the difference. So, very cool. Yeah. Have you um, thought about you know you're talking about advancing the board, but you know um, when you run something like this and you try to figure out you know what you're actually going to have show up, potentially having bands, um, or you can think of it as like phase lines, right? So like super heavy walkers, knights, or whatever are allowed to be the skirmishers, so they can be x number of feet advanced. You know, slower, super heavy tanks like Bane Blades may be half that distance. So maybe three foot versus six foot for a knight. And then your your Titans would have to start on the back line, right? So imagine, you know, as these forces are starting to align against each other, they're set, sending out their skirmishers. They're starting to send, up, um, you know, set up their firing lines with their super heavy support, like Bane Blade type chassis. Something like that that might... Um, you know, that applies to both sides, but allows a little bit more flexibility as far as distance. Yeah, no, I think you're right on it, uh, Ryan. And uh, I would definitely do that so that you want the Knights to be able to probably get into close combat within a turn or two, maybe three. Um, but you definitely want the Knights to be able to get into combat with each other because as soon as they're in combat with each other, then they're not going to be um, targeted by the Titans. And if you have the right amount of Titans on either side, if Titans are balanced, those Titans are going to be shooting at each other anyway. Um, and, uh, I think that would, I think that would be a much more cinematic, uh, 
game experience anyway. I think if I run it again, which I hopefully will here, I don't know if I'll do it before Nova, probably won't, but um, when I do run it again, I will certainly advance the board and create those um, bands like you're talking about for um, for knights. And the other thing I'll do with knights is I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that anybody who brings a knight house can activate everybody in that knight house, all the engines in that knight house simultaneously. So they'll be able to move Oh, and charge. That would be cool. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And it's the way it should be. Um, it makes knights sort of a little bit more deadly on the battlefield, I think. And um, it make it run a little faster, too, I think, for sure. I, yeah, absolutely. It won't bog down. Um, so, so yeah. But, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm excited that people are um, – I'm, I'm excited that people just come out for it, dude, and, you know, have a good time. Very cool. All right. So that was our Ariana Forge recap. If I can just say, yeah, go for it. Um, I really appreciate what Dave did for Ariana Forge. I didn't get a chance to go down and play, but it just goes to show, you know, if you have a concept in mind or something that you want to do, obviously you have to have a game group that supports you or, you know, that you have people to play, but it's okay to have some crazy ideas about a different way to play the game or a slightly different method of playing it. Um, mm-hmm. If you come up with it, people will probably try it out. And specifically with Ariana Forge or the big super heavies, I know in Maryland, when I run events, I always get people asking, you know, when can I run super heavies? When can we play larger games? I want to play X, Y, or Z on the board. There's always people. It's People seem to, like, always have titans in their closets or something. Um, <laughs> or you have, like, these hoarders of titans and night houses. And if you give them the chance, they'll come out of the woodwork. So I'm looking forward to when you run version two of this, because I'm definitely going to make an effort to, to go down and bring the few super heavies that I have. But if you have an idea for something, you know, work through it, talk it. Through. I'm sure Dave was kicking ideas around with the guys um, and see if you can bring it to reality and then learn from it, make it better the next time. Yeah, absolutely, yep. man. It's all about having fun. And uh, Ryan, you're hundred percent right, man. I saw more, people show up with, like, Warhound Titans. I was like, what? You've got a Warhound? They're like, yeah, man. I've had a Warhound forever. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, yeah, you know, people people are a little reluctant to bring that out, I think, in a, uh, you know, just a casual 30, you know, 30K game. Oh, yeah. Um, which is good. It's a good thing about our community. But uh, but give them a chance, and, uh, and fuck yeah, man, they'll run with that. For sure. Well, Dave, again, thank you. That was a fantastic event and i'm looking forward to the next installment of ariana forge coming up cheers yeah all right guys coming up next it's going to be horse heresy gradson stay tuned right back cool so i uh i was reading the warhammer community page right now yeah and apparently Coming in December, the Horus Heresy book Titan Death is coming. Oh yeah, I saw that Sky Haley, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah man. That's gonna be um so I mean if you if you know anything about the way Warhammer does their releases, they're gonna have a black library book that comes out about the same time as they do a major release. So Guy Guy Haley wrote the uh what did he write? Dark Imperium, I think. Was that the one that yeah. pre, pre yep. preceded the uh, eighth edition? 
yeah, kind of kicked everything off. Yeah, so he, I think he's kind of their go-to guy for this. So that that does give him. It definitely gives some context to uh, to when they're gonna to do this. Um, dude, two seconds, Jesse. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay, back. All right. That was me opening a. I I recognized the beer <laughs> opening. Couldn't tell you what the brand is though. I'm not that good. No, no, that'd be impressive. No, this is a um, a new style imperial IPA. Hmm. Yeah, down to die. <laughs> I don't know if you saw any of the pictures I posted of the uh, the brews I got. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty sexy though, man. They're uh, a brewery out of uh, Northern Virginia, I think. A oh, okay. Adroit theory. They do some, that uh, sounds very familiar. I I might have had one or two of their things before. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the pairing they they come with on the bottle they come with a little pairing. So this is the pairing they suggest with this Taiwanese oxtail ramen with suva egg. Oh yeah, I've got that in my pantry right now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, was, I was gonna pull that out. And, <laughs> yeah. Fucking. But decided to just slum it and just, you know, grab a pack of crackers and just go to town on it. Right on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Yep, I've got a classic Legend Brown Nail right now. The old Legend Brewing Company. That's probably one of Virginia's oldest, isn't it? I can't speak to that, to be honest. I have no idea. I mean, I think they were one of the, probably one of the first ones in Richmond once the craft brewery scene started kicking around, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely one of the mainstays of Richmond, Virginia. Nice. I actually work with a young woman who used to work for Legends. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, she went from Legends to uh, Strange Ways. Uh-huh. Uh, what's funny is right across the street where the uh, PPD office where we work is. Oh, yeah. What's a PPD office? Oh, um, Pfizer Pharmaceutical Development. That's the uh, company I work for. Yeah, Pfizer Pharmaceutical Development. That's like, uh, what, that's like an umbrella research company, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, I specifically work for their vaccine science department. Oh, yeah, perfect. Hey, man, look, when the zombie apocalypse is going to come out, can you just, like, give me a heads up? Uh, like just twenty four hours. Totally, I will. You'll be the first to know. Oh, perfect. <laughs> nice, nice. Hey, Dave, you know that thing you asked me? <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's like right now. Uh, how much time do I have? No, just go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Just head to Madagascar as quickly as possible. Perfect. And close the airports. You're safe. back guys with heresy grad school with jason and dave i'll take it away all right listeners uh welcome back to another slice of heresy grad school uh tonight we're gonna continue our conversation on the whole depth and breadth of the mechanicum uh last time we were checking out that huge uh, flow chart the bellicosa potentus omnisaya 
that kind of starts to detail just how the overlapping layers of the Mechanicum are super glued, taped, welded, and uh, adhered together. Last time we talked about the whole direct chain from the uh, planetary governor equivalent of the Archmagos intendant on down through his synod and into the creation of the Tagmata Omnissiah, their whole little uh, section of sort of a... Uh, well, not sort of, pretty much directly, a, a feudal derivative and power structure, and how they get a Tagmata ready for war. Uh, we also talked about two other parts of what's called the Triad Magna, the three big military powerhouses of the Mechanicum. And uh, that's one of the other parts, the Skatari, we're going to be talking about today. So, uh, if you'll remember from last time, one of the biggest things we talked about uh, is not only is the structure very futile for the whole setup of the Mechanicum, but also it's definitely has a hint of the, uh, the theocracy behind it. It is definitely a religious powerhouse. And it's a very stark contrast uh, to how the emperor is trying to conquer the galaxy and wipe out anything but the imperial truth. Pretty much everybody understands the imperial truth about this uh, by this point. You know, there are no gods and demons. There's no religion. There's only cold, hard science. And again, this contrasts what the Mechanicum have going, which is a belief structure revolving around the worship of the Omnissiah. Now, whether or not you think, as an adherent of the Mechanicum, that the Omnissiah is the emperor, the belief structure sort of stays the same. And that's one of the big parts we're going to be talking about today. First, uh, because the Skatari, their entire creation, huge part of it, is to protect and enforce that belief structure. So, what is the thought process of mechanics? When you break it down, and we can still check this out on that little... Uh, red chart we were talking about last time. Uh, it's page 12 and 13, if you've got the Mechanical Red Book open in front of you. Uh, big double-page flowchart. So, <clears throat> going down through the structure, through the Tagmata Omnissiah, you'll notice along that bar at the bottom, a whole bunch of little independent uh, sort of subcults, uh, like the Munitoria Logis, the Lacrimata, the autocrater that we'll get into those in a couple more episodes here. But over on the left there, you have the Scatarius. And that's what we're going to be delving into in just a second. But <clears throat> the entire belief structure of the Mechanicum revolves around the Omnissiah as part of all, pretty much part of everything. Because everything is knowledge just waiting out there to be comprehended. And in kind of an interesting parallel, in almost the same way in a, the old belief structure around the chaos gods, uh, the chaos gods themselves are sort of these large, super powerful beings that can barely be comprehended, uh, let alone understood. Uh, they create smaller shards of themselves in the demons, uh, the neverborn, in 30k times parlance. And 
in almost the same way, the Omnissiah is this huge, barely comprehensible supreme being. And through him, he's kind of believed to be, you know, friendly in general, though he helps those who help themselves. Uh, he's sort of the originator of all human technical artifice, scientific knowledge. And subservient to him are the tiny machine spirits you always hear about. Uh, machine spirits are anywhere in size from the tiny ones that are blessed before using a bolt gun to those that inhabit a land raider, up to those, uh, even those that inhabit the massive god engines like the knights and titans. Uh, every one of those is believed to be a tiny shard of the machine god that is subserving him. And because of this, this is where the huge problem between is the emperor the omnissiah or not that causes such a huge issue on Mars. Uh, if he is, in fact, the omnissiah, then he must be worshipped as such because he's the basis of all knowledge. If he's not, that causes a huge division further than the obvious divisions um, for the Mechanicum because the emperor would be subservient to the omnissiah and part of him. So I know that doesn't make a seem like a huge difference, but for the Omnissiah to exist in the first place, he has to be able to comprehend all things, which is what brings us to the 16 truths of the Mechanicum. Uh, these are broken up basically into the 16 different parts of the belief structure in kind of a little bit vague terms, but they do a pretty good job of outlining. And this is uh, eight mysteries, sort of like the whole what is life, why are we here, and the eight warnings, which are definitely things to avoid as a up-and-coming new tech priest. So, and Jason, just, just for our listeners back home, man, who are probably entranced at this point, they're like, dude, what are you talking about? We, we have just jumped to uh, the... Battlefleet Gothic 2010 Compendium, mm -hmm. um, which is an, an amazing document in and of itself, but um, also very easily downloadable. So please go download the 2010 Compendium Battlefleet Gothic, and you will find uh, exactly what Jason is talking about. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Thank you for reminding me. This would be a page, or starting out on page 62 of the 2010 compendium. It's under this big giant header of knowledge is power, the explorer fleets, the adeptus mechanicus. So um, <clears throat> that's one thing we should probably get out of the way pretty quickly. Uh, 40k is adeptus mechanicus, 30k is mechanicum. The reason there's the division here, and if you want to hear the whole like hilariously dramatic story behind it, check out uh, the audio drama Binary Succession. But in short, each of the High Lords on Terra, the Terran High Council, of which, at the time, Malkador is kind of the commander-in-chief, uh, each one of those has a divisio beneath them. Um, there is, say, like, uh, Baldor. He sits on the council, he manages the custodies. The big problem for the Mechanicum, when they separate and Fabricator Locum Cain comes to Terra, uh, he doesn't have a seat on the council, and as such, the Mechanicum, despite the fact that they manufacture almost everything for the Imperium at large, they don't really have a say 
in what happens in politics, in war, they are always subservient to that High Council of Terra and the Emperor. So, at the end of Binary Succession, tiny spoiler alert, they also become an Adeptus faction of the Imperium, while um, technically, even into 40k times, there is no Dark Mechanicus. They would still be the Mechanicum because they're not a Adeptus House of Terra. But, that out of the way. <clears throat> First off, let's talk about these mysteries of the Cult Mechanicus. Crazy stuff's going on in the galaxy. How do we explain it? I just want to give our listeners a little shout-out for um, all of Graham McNeil's work, because it's so amazing. Like, go out and listen to Binary Succession, or read it. Um, listen to Mechanicum, and then, you know, Jason's going to talk about another amazing book that'll um, dial you into the Mechanicum as well. But uh, we'll leave that for, for a little bit later. Sorry about that. And a uh, small cat-based problem. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about these truths. Stuff's out there in the galaxy. It's happening. It's going on. How do we explain it? How do we catalog it? How do we learn about it? This is where the 16 truths come in. First off, uh, one of the things I noticed right when the 40K stuff for the Mechanicum or Mechanicus was coming out, um, readers started picking up on the fact that they uh, mentioned uh, the motive force as sort of a driving thing in all things. And people were immediately like, oh, they're just trying to copy Star Wars. That's lame. They just like thought this stuff up, you know, because new movies coming out. That's lame. Well, truth is, the motive force as an idea has been around a really, really long time. Uh, I think, shoot, uh, this stuff for the Mechanicum was written back in the late 90s. So they may have been copying Star Wars, but they started copying Star Wars like 20 years before you think they did. Anywho, that out of the way. First off, uh, life is directed motive force. Uh, two, the spirit is the spark of life. Three, sentience is the ability to learn the value of knowledge. Four, intellect is the understanding of that knowledge. Five, sentience is the basest form of intelligence. Six, understanding is the true path to comprehension. Seven, comprehension is the key to all things. And eight, the omniscient knows all and comprehends all. So what does all that mean? First off, uh, last time we talked about how magi in the whole feudal structure of the Mechanicum, they're not just there because they are potent war leaders. They're also there based on the knowledge they have. Having a vast data library is every bit as important as having maniples of Castellax or cohorts of Thalax at your beck and call. And it really plays into how the Mechanicus kind of go downhill after this, just like everybody else. Uh, how many things do the Mechanicus have in 40k? They have no idea how it works or even how to fix it if it breaks. They just know how it's supposed to work and what it's supposed to do and you know the different oils you're supposed to anoint it with to appease that machine spirit um in the same belief structure a uh, knowledge itself is sort of like the manifestation of divinity a uh, knowledge is created by the machine god for you to know and understand and bring you closer to him that's why that whole idea of mechanicum enlightenment 
uh, bringing you closer to the Omnissiah is achieved by knowing and comprehending all. Because the Omnissiah himself knows and comprehends all. It is the driving force of every Mechanicum adept to get there one day. So all of this kind of builds in to how the Omnissiah is sort of the originator of human knowledge and technology and science. And the Magi themselves kind of strive to comprehend the machine god. And to do that, that's why they are driven towards what's called the quest for knowledge. And the quest for knowledge sort of sums up, it's the entire driving mission behind the Mechanicum, behind their belief structure to achieve that enlightenment we talked about, to bring themselves closer to the Omnissiah, they have to understand all there is to know in the galaxy. And the only way to do that is get out there and catalog it, which is why a lot of the time, Mechanicum can act in ways that are very, that seem very counterintuitive to uh, the Imperium as a whole, in that their basis is not necessarily survival even. It is obtaining knowledge even if it's knowledge that will get an individual killed to bring it back to that feudal power structure to elevate their uh, commanders farther up the chain that is well worth it and easily a sacrifice many adepts are willing to achieve now of course higher up the power structure that can become a little corrupted magi get a little selfish they figure out hey if i just live a hundred more years i can compile that much more knowledge but at the basic idea, that is where it stands, is all of the Mechanicum adepts understand that their purpose in life is this quest for knowledge, to return that knowledge to their attendant majors. And another thing I've kind of noticed, uh, people seem to think, I think I may have even mentioned it erroneously a time or two, uh, innovation and research is not non-existent it's uh, even into the realm of 40k it's not heresy and the mechanicum is still doing research they're still trying to figure out new things how new things work but it's so far as a third behind protecting themselves and behind this uh quest for knowledge that it's really near stagnant because especially into the 41st millennium the Mechanicum, or Mechanicus now, is whole, is so reduced in their capacity to understand new things that they have driven themselves into almost this rut of knowledge and research where they just keep repeating the same rituals and the same ideas uh, in the attempt to collect more knowledge that's out there in the universe instead of expanding on what they already have if that makes sense so so jason let me just like dig in for a second because man that's a lot right that, that, that's heavy and i feel like i mean having grown up in the sort of the warhammer forty thousand universe right like the mechanicum was always a little bit of a mystery anyway um and i really think the horse heresy has done the mechanicum like a pretty big solid because we, you know, in terms of fleshing it out. And I think this was very much like Alan Bly's intent. And I think a lot of the writers that went into Forge World, they were like, we're going to do this right. And I think you see that in some of the Black Library lore with like, um, I know you want to get into Mechanicum, the novel by Graham McNeil, but like Coriel Zeth is the perfect example. Um, 
of somebody that is not really bound by tradition, right? So she's about, so Coriel Zeth, if you haven't read Mechanicum, you, you need to. Um, if you're listening to us right now, it means you care at least a little bit about Mechanicum. And um, so she's she's the, uh, what is she, Jason? The, the, give me the title for her. She's the, like the magma. Oh, um, she is the, attendant adept of the magma city she's the attendant magma or attendant adept of the magma city so she's she is awesome and um she's out there trying to essentially get after what jason is talking about which is all knowledge so the akashak reader and the discovery of all knowledge so coriel zeth believes that all knowledge is somewhere out there and can be brought in and and discovered and learned from and that's it that's a stark contrast from where we are in the 41st millennia which is like basically i think and jason tell me if i'm wrong here but i think really the mechanicum in the 41st millennia is about how do we rediscover the stc construct right like how do we get more stc templates how do we get back to where we were how do we discover our greatness? Like, I, don't, I really don't think they're trying to go forward in the same way that, um, you know, some of the, you know, some of the majors on Mars and, you know, the 31st millennia were, were oh, trying to yeah. do. And by now, um, even in the 31st millennium, research, like new research is so far behind discovering new things. Uh, it's almost similar to academia now. Uh, sadly, there is not a much of a prize for follow-up research, while discovering new things will totally get your next uh, grant in the bank. <clears throat> kind of the same deal. But two, by the 41st millennium, their resources are so far reduced. They're just so... Uh, they're so reduced in their capacity because they're less majos out there doing uh doing research exploring and finding an stc is such an enormous undertaking for them with reduced resources like this that yeah there is barely any room for anything else yeah i mean it really it gives you the sense that this is not only like what like 40k is like the grim dark but it's like the grim dark of the grim dark right like so if you go back in the lore long enough I mean, there was a golden age of technology and humanity reached the stars and there was, I mean, there, we had the technology to do that and, and to, to civilize far distant planets. And I think a lot of that was probably based out of Mars. I mean, I think that's a lot of probably where the, the cult mechanicum comes from. And we'll probably dig into this later at a, at, you know, a different episode, but, um, you know, I think Mars as the, uh, the homeworld of the Mechanicum is the bastion of of sort of this 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 lore, right? How did we conquer the galaxy? How did we formulate these amazing, um, you know, feats of technology? How did we get out there and do this? And so we've just degraded and degraded and degraded into this like almost superstitious cult of, um, you know. Uh, of basically backwards technology and you know it's it's sort of depressing in a way because the greatness of humanity like the ability to go out 
and seek knowledge and learn and 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 just continue to question um you see that in the 31st millennia with like Coriel Zeth and some of the other forge lords um but you start getting into the horse heresy and then what happens afterwards and and certainly in the 41st millennia and it's just it's all gone man it's just all like you got to say the right prayers to the machine spirit and you got to apply the right holy oils and you got to do the right you know prayers to the Messiah, and it's just um so much has been lost and i think that's the that's the visceral experience that i think black library and forge world has given us in terms of the mechanicum like 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 the hope of humanity really the mechanicum was was right there man and uh i mean we can get into it a little bit more but i i just i when i when i read about the mechanicum and when i hear you talk about the mechanicum like there's for me there's more of like a visceral connection to man how much have we lost than you know almost when i think about like you know the legions of stardays and you know everything else because the, the mechanicum for me is like man that that that's probably our future yeah, it does highlight really well the shift between in 30K, it's building, it's expansion, it's exploration, where 40K is really, it's just about survival. It's humanity, whether Martian or Terran, has just been reduced so far. It's basically almost, almost to the effect of the fall of the Eldar in that they're just so greatly reduced, the last remnants of the Martian Mechanicum are trying to hang on. And that's probably why research isn't nearly as prevalent, because I, what happens if you try and conduct you know, research on something that's pretty vital and just doesn't work? Now it's lost forever, and it's something that can be replaced, because the STC construct, to create whatever you just fuck-handed has been lost for the last 8,000 years. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, awesome. Uh, well, I think we, we probably have gone down the rabbit hole on that. Let's get into the Skitari, Jason, because, like, to me, the Skitari are such a... They're such a quintessential Mechanicum force in, in 40K. Like, everybody knows about the Skitari. I almost <laughs> want to say there's, like, this... this um, it's probably a, a, a misnomer, but like if you play Mechanicum in 40k, you play Skitari, right? Like that's probably people associate that, you know? Yeah. But in, in 30k, I mean, you can't, can you even play Skitari? No, oh, in part. And an interesting thing, too, I heard a lot of when the 7th edition uh, 40k stuff started coming out, uh, Skitari were the first thing that came out. And uh, the argument against that were very, very similar to what you'd hear about custodies. Like, well, custodies would only ever be in the Imperial Palace. Why would they ever be any anywhere outside of a game like the Siege of Terra? And custodies I cannot speak to. They are not my ballgame, uh, being a traitor for life. But uh, Skatari I can speak on, which we uh, do here in just a second. So, one of the keys to understanding the Skatari were the second half of those 16 truths we were talking about. The second half 
are what we call the warnings of the cult mechanicum. And that would be, let's see here. Number nine, the alien mechanism is a perversion of the true path. Ten, the soul is the conscience of sentience. Eleven, a soul can be bestowed only by the Messiah. Two, the uh, twelve, the soulless sentience is the enemy of all. Thirteen, the knowledge of the ancients stands beyond question. Fourteen, the machine spirit guards the knowledge of the ancients. Fifteen, flesh is fallible, but ritual honors the machine spirit. And sixteen, to break with ritual is to break with faith. So Skatari are important to that because they are sworn protectors of one of the biggest driving pieces of the quest for knowledge, which are Ark Explorer fleet. So Skatari, and I think this was where the uh, kind of thought process of they'd never really leave their attendant forge world came from, they are hearth guard for their forge world in that they protected almost in the same way as like a planetary defense force. But that's not the only thing they do. Um, much like, uh, much kind of like Titan Legion, they are sworn to particular forge worlds that they guard. And again, they're the second part of this triad magna we've been talking about. But when, uh, not a, when a forge world sends out an explorer fleet to you know, delve into space to come back with knowledge, come back with an STC uh, template. Uh, the Skatari are also sworn to protect the explorer fleets that those Forge Worlds send out. Uh, two, in kind of smaller roles, they can actually be seconded to Majos as bodyguards, higher cohorts sometimes for uh, like the Archmagos Intendant or one of the Holy Synod. And they're also... Uh, they can be sworn to protect individual uh, macro engines, things like the Ordinatus arrays. Uh, those in and of themselves are considered almost like holy relics of war to the cult Mechanicus, and anything to be protected by the cult Mechanicus is worth a cohort of Skatari to guard it, uh, proportional, of course, to its importance, which... Um, in the same way, that's why they're used as bodyguards for higher-ranking magi, because the higher you are as a magos, uh, like we were talking about before, the bigger your repository of knowledge, the more knowledge something contains, regardless of whether it's a library, whether it's a magos, whether it's a data drive, or a uh, piece of war machinery, like an Ordinatus engine. It is holier the more knowledgeable it is. Thus, the more Skatari it warrants to guard. Um, and uh, even in uh, these explorator fleets, they make up a huge part of sort of the uh, attendant protection force for those explorator fleets. Now, uh, to begin with, uh, when Tagmatas were first created, they were normally created defensively uh, to sort of supplement the Skatari legion. But as the Tagmatas started becoming a little bit more uh, aggressive in their deployment, uh, Tagmatas would be raised to accompany explorer fleets in addition to these Skatari legions that were sent out with the same fleets. So basically anything that is part of that 
church structure, the holier it is, the more scatari you're going to end up with. And as such, that brings us to kind of the little bridge between these two parts of the triad magna, uh, the scatari and the uh, collegia titanica. Uh, here we have the secutari. And just like the scatari you know and love, uh, they're augmented soldiers, uh, very similar to kind of like a planetary PDF. And they share pretty much the same roots. Uh, their infantry support, though, specifically for the Collegia Titanica. And because, I mean, they're literally called god machines. Uh, Titans are seen as living avatars of the Omnicide's will cast in steel and iron. And the Secutari are sort of the attendant bodyguard in the same way a Scutari would be a bodyguard for a Majos. And here, there's a little bit of a division. Where Scutari are created specifically and bound to a forge world, Secutari are bound to a specific legio. Um, and they're really designed to work in the same functions of protection, but in this, they're designed to counter key vulnerabilities of Titan. Um, the biggest part of that is close protection from ambushes and infantry assaults. Uh, Titans are not particularly practical at fending off small squads of infantry. And those small squads of infantry, if properly equipped, can be a big hindrance to a Titan. Uh, there are many examples throughout the Black Library series of a vulnerable Titan being boarded and basically having no defense against it other than you know, personnel firearms of the crew inside. And that's one of the big parts of what the Secutari are designed to prevent against. Um, hey, hey, Jason, let me let me just ask, because I'm not sure if, what the answer is, but and I'm not sure if, like, Black Library and Forge World have given us the answer, but are Secutari part of a Skitaris, uh force? Like, are they part and parcel of that? So they share the same roots. Um, they're created in more or less the exact same way but they are not part of the uh, Skatari Legion as a whole. Because okay. you want to go back and check out that little uh, flowchart on page 12 and 13. Uh, you can see that uh, the Skatarius are actually an entire different little... Um, yeah, a little taxonomy, right? Yeah. Uh, compared to the Legio Titanicus right under there. And if you see right under... Uh, dropping down from there, uh, that little thing, the Autocrater, they are the entire support structure for the Legio Titanicus. So, like, the ground armor, the pioneer forces, uh, the tech guard regiment. Wow. Yeah. Wow, and you, just, you, like, totally blew my mind. So, like, <laughs> like, that entire bottom line, that entire bottom, like, flowchart is in support of the Legio Titanicus. Well, not the entire thing, but the uh, Autocrater and the uh, Nighthouses, they definitely are. Okay, okay. I'm tracking. But, uh, yeah, so Tech Guard are one of the uh, big parts. The uh, Majos specifically that work with the Titans is sort of like their motor pool mechanics. They're called uh, Majos Autocratori. And they are all kind of brought into that same 
little, uh, like you were saying, the little taxonomy of the autocratter. Okay, but, okay, I see, I see what you're saying. So, so the tech guard regiments would be probably the the secretary. Mm-hmm. Is that we that we're saying? Okay, all right, nice. So, uh, well, actually, that kind of brings us to the second part of uh, what the secretary are there for in uh, support of those titans. Uh, Titans are incredible weapons for destroying big things, but they're not terrific at destroying small individual things. Uh, So the Secretary are there to kind of sweep and destroy in the wake of a Titan. I mean, it's not worth it if you break open a fortress to swing a Titan around and clean up everything after it. Uh, Even Warhounds are deployed against, uh, you know, infantry regiments as a whole, but uh, individual small squads of infantry are not going to be a very worthwhile target for it. And when you have a Titan, uh, it's not easy to come by a, even a single Titan. So you're going to want to put it to its best use as a field commander. This is what the Secretary are supposed to do in uh, sweeping and kind of cleaning up after uh, in the wake of a Titan that they aren't, uh, they aren't used on threats that'd be a waste of their time. And uh, three, the auxilia, uh, excuse me, the secretary work as an auxilia force for the uh, autocratory majors that we just talked about. Uh, they are, in the same way, scutari are assigned to like an arc explorer fleet. Secretary can be assigned to the sort of a labor train that follows uh, the Collegia Titanica around all of their support structure. So that entails, like, the uh, Titan Majos, uh, the Autocratory. There is a division of the Machine Labor Corps uh, called Scutari, not Secutari, but Scutari, that are tasked with things uh, like field work, digging trenches, erecting barricades, things like that, like uh, field engineers. And uh, they are also in charge of repairing, rearming, refueling, things like that, uh, Titan field. And the Secretary, of course, are sworn to defend all of that sort of Titan uh, supply line, as it were, uh, to defend, like, say, their Titan ships, uh, the, co- the giant coffin ships, their landing fields, and all of the massive amount of supply tr- that even a single Titan requires. And uh, one kind of part of that is they are bound first and foremost to protect the Titans, but also the crew. So if a Titan is ever downed, it is the Secretary's job to secure a perimeter and uh, evac that Titan crew to friendly lines, because a Titan can't be replaced, but... uh, one step behind that, a trained and experienced Titan crew can be replaced eventually, but it's a huge pain. And most of the Titan crew are going to be decently ranked members in the Mechanicum infrastructure themselves. So they are pretty important individuals. You don't just get to uh, hang out in a Titan. You have to, uh, there is decades and decades of work and training behind going into it. Yeah, so Jason, so I know you want to get here, man, and and it's sort of like, so thirty k versus forty k, but the Skitari are still part of that Titan defense force, um, 
and somewhat right there so the securitate and the secure you know they're 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 you know securing the supply chain and they're ensuring the you know the evac of the titan crew but the skatari are still there right i mean they're still there somewhere oh yeah i mean there are mentions of skatari even back um i know we talked about the uh, novel titanicus that was in 2002 yeah but, uh, they had attendant skatari legions and they're actually pretty far from the vision of what the Sekutari looked like in 30K. Uh, the way Dan Abnett describes them in Titanicus, I love them. Uh, they almost sound like the techno-barbarians that the Emperor spent all of the time Unification Wars knocking down. Uh, they are cybernetically augmented, but they also have a very, uh, almost like a tribal command structure which I thought was really, really interesting as to the very regimented, um, almost Legion-esque way that the Sekutar are running 30K. Yeah, no, I feel, I feel like a lot of this is sort of like um, the larger cosmos, like, development, trying to struggle with how do, we, how do we develop this and incorporate it in. Like, Dan Abnett's 2002 novel, Titanicus, was amazing right it like mind-blowing in terms of how it painted the picture for titan legions as well as like the support structure for skatari and uh, one of my favorite characters in that whole novel series was um lao right the uh skatari yeah fucking legio invictus man i mean i'm i'm so there but uh yeah, I mean, and so I, I wonder if some of this is just like part and parcel of um, 30K versus 40K versus the, the lore, how GW is sort of like developing this because it's, I mean, it, it is it is sort of a, a work in progress and a little bit nebulous, but um, I mean, I love the way Dan Abnett did it in Titanicus. Like that, that's Guitari fucking reinforcement for legio invicta and lao and the personalities man i mean just ace i'm a big fan too um truth be told if things are described two different ways uh by two different authors i'm probably gonna side with dan abnett (laughs) yeah that's probably a safe bet always bet on abnett that's right uh, yep but oh that was a just gonna say that uh brings us for a close for today all right well thank you jason thank you dave and i can't wait for the next installment right on we'll we'll be here don't don't go away (laughs) more mechanicus is on the way yep all right and with that we're going to take a quick break and come right back for closing statements guys we're back and uh, Dave got anything to say before we uh, wrap this up yeah guys so so thank you very much for listening um, and I just wanted to say like we don't do patreon we don't do any type of fundraising outside of this um, you know 
But if you guys do want to contribute something to the podcast, if you like what you hear, uh, we do have a few things on sale on our Facebook page. Um, you can link to us um, through the Remembrancers Retreat. So if, if you're listening to us here, you probably know what that link is. Um, click on the store, and you can probably see what we've got on there. And just so you guys know, like if you if you purchase something on the store page, you will be contributing to way more than what you hear here. You so you'll be, you know, contributing to events and further discussion down the line. So thank you very much um, for what you guys do and uh, keep listening. Let us know what you want to hear and uh, be here. Cheers. Thanks, Dave. Jason. Oh, not a whole lot for me, man. Uh, <laughs> let's see. If I, uh, if I had to make a closing statement, uh, if you haven't already done it, go read Titanicus. Like, mm. just do it right now. If you need an excuse to uh, read a old, like, early 2000s Dan Abnett novel, what are you doing here? Yeah. Was that one also adapted into a comic? Because I feel like I have one of those hardcover comics called Titanicus. That's I think it is Dan Abnett. Is that a separate one? Yeah. Uh, what is it, like Titan God Machine? No, I think it's just called... Oh, man, oh, you know what? It's just called Titan. My bad. <laughs> so, so can I just interrupt this really, really quickly to just blow sure. your mind? So for, for our, our listeners out there, Jason and Patrick and I, so the Heresy Grad School, just recently updated um, Lexicanicum uh, because Dan Abnett dropped a fucking egg in Eisenhorn Malleus, uh-huh. uh, which links back to exactly what you're talking about, Jesse. So that the, oh, cool. the, the Titan novel, the, the graphic uh, comic that uh, Games Workshop released in the early 90s, I guess. Um, yeah, it's all there, man. So, That's neat. Yeah, so we're doing fucking the Emperor's work for you guys, and uh, hope you appreciate it because it's all there. Cheers. Very cool. So, all right, with that being said, thank you all for listening. See you next time. Later. Later.